Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.08 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's, oh God, it's September the 11th. Ugh. The day... Yeah, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna talk about it. Anyway, it's, uh, the 11th of September, 2023, and this is episode, what, what episode is this? Oh my God, it's 791 of Bitcoin, and here we go with Reverend Hoddle, uh, 17th of September. He's got his whole, um, the, uh, applied permaculture class. And on the 16th, there's a Fireside Bitcoin meetup. This is coming down quick, guys, coming down quick. Um, you will learn how to apply permaculture to your lifestyle to build sovereignty, resilience, and wealth in that particular three-hour class. So it's going to have a lunch. There's places to stay in camp. Um, it's 250,000 Satoshis for a ticket uh, I do believe he has tickets uh, still available. You'll have to get a hold of him. I will have his uh, InPub in the show notes. So if you haven't gotten a hold of Rev.Hoddle to get your tickets to his applied permaculture class, you're gonna want you're gonna want to do that real quick. Now it's in Baroda, Michigan. All right. So if you're anywhere close to Baroda, B-A-R-D-O, Baroda, Michigan, then um, wait, B-R Baroda, Baroda. B-A-R-A-D-O, yeah, Baroda, Michigan, then uh, go ahead and get your tickets and get over there and let him take you on a tour of his property so that you can see how some of these design elements that is permaculture actually work, what it is that they're doing. It's not going to teach you, you know, you're not going to get a, a permaculture design certificate out of the whole thing, but you are going to figure out what is it, we're talking about permaculture what the hell are we talking about? And <clears throat> this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. So rev.hodl, that's rev.hodl. You can just find him on Noster at rev, R-E-V dot H-O-D-L. And that's how you're going to be able to purchase your tickets. Mention that you got to him from the Circle P over on Bitcoin. And he will, he'll, well, he'll cut me in on the ticket sales because that's the deal that we worked out for the Circle P. All right, chain analysis is back in the news. We've got another one from Lola Leets. She was the uh, journalist that kind of broke the story about how, oh, one of the people from uh, chain analysis that was testifying in federal court on the, uh, was the Roman case, uh, admitted that they didn't really have any scientific proof whatsoever that chain analysis actually works. And Lola has followed up with this one from Bitcoin Magazine. Chainalysis denounces Bitcoin core contributor as unqualified. Oh, yay. If you haven't had a good laugh at Chainalysis attempts 
to defend the use of its blockchain forensic software for law enforcement purposes in light of recent court proceedings now may be the time. After having to admit to the lack of scientific evidence for the accuracy of its software and the publication of an expert report describing the use of chain analysis heuristics as reckless, chain analysis finds itself trying to evade an audit of its software source code. So they don't even want anybody to look at it. Chain analysis source code is requested by the defense in the case of U.S. versus Sterling, yeah, Sterling of an early Bitcoin adopter currently awaiting trial for the alleged operation of the custodial Bitcoin mixer, Bitcoin fog to reproduce the software's findings in light of the lack of corroborating evidence. Sterlingov's defense defines access to chain analysis source code as critical to Mr. Sterlingov's due process rights, given the fact that neither the government nor chain analysis is able to produce any evidence involving chain analysis reactors error rates, rate of false positives, or rate of false negatives. Nor can the government or chain analysis produce a single scientific peer-reviewed paper attesting to the accuracy of their software, nor has any independent audit or model validation been performed on chain analysis reactor. Moreover, the notice continues, quote, the defense's expert witness, Cypher Trace's Jonel Stills expert report documents numerous issues with the chain analysis reactor software and concludes that it should not be used in a federal criminal trial, end quote. Chain analysis now argues that Bitcoin core contributor Brian Bishop, the expert witness produced by Sterlingoff's defense to audit chain analysis source code, is unqualified for the job due to his lack of a computer science degree, stating that, quote, he does not appear to be a reliable software engineer, let alone a reliable evaluator of software, end quote. On the contrary, the Bitcoin developer community has found Bishop qualified and reliable enough to serve as one of two moderators of the Bitcoin Dev mailing list since 2015. The Bitcoin Dev mailing list is an email distribution list to discuss latest technological advancements in Bitcoin protocol development and adjacent fields. Its participants include cryptographer and hashcash innovator Adam Back, cryptographer and ex-Bitcoin core maintainer Peter Woola, as well as a range of well-respected and prolific contributors in Bitcoin development. The Bitcoin Dev mailing list is moderated based on a number of factors, all of which Bishop evaluates before approving posts to the lists. These factors include speculation, non-technical concerns, and rehashing settled topics without new data. Bishop's own contribution to the list includes the evaluation of signature schemes, the evaluation of multi-sig key signing operations performed via hardware wallets, and the evaluation of security concerns regarding block size increases in merge mining. As a respected expert in the field, Bishop has participated in lengthy discussions on elliptic curve cryptography, ECDSA signature schemes, Schnorr signature schemes, BLS signature schemes, signature aggregation schemes, post-quantum cryptography, quantum mining, and script password hashing. As a Bitcoin Core developer, Bishop has contributed to the ongoing development of vaults, which are mechanisms to improve the security of custody. 
This particular contribution has been named in Chain Nallis' response to installing Bishop as an expert witness, citing a notice on Bishop's GitHub repository, which reads, Warning, this is not production-ready code. Do not use this on Bitcoin mainnet or any other mainnet. End quote. While Chain Nallis appears to claim that Bishop's notice proves his inferiority as a software developer, the installment of security notices for experimental code is common practice amongst engineers. Chain analysis interpretation of the notice can only lead us to believe that the prosecution is actively attempting to mislead the court or that they flat out don't know how engineering works. Highlighting Bishop's role as CTO and co-founder of Wyoming-based Custodia Bank, as a critical fact, Chain analysis attempts to taint Bishop's reputation of 20 years in software engineering by citing Custodia's denied application as a member of the Federal Reserve System. This leads Chain analysis to argue that, quote, Mr. Bishop has a massive incentive to abuse his access to Chain analysis in order to attempt to figure out why he could not, in his previous efforts, develop software to effectively mitigate money laundering and terrorism financing risks, what stopped his prior bank from getting a license to operate by the Federal Reserve. End quote. What chain analysis fails to highlight <clears throat> is that the very letter of denial cited names the inefficiency of chain analysis services to map funds to real world identities as one of the reasons to deny custodia's application in light of AML concerns. While quote direct quote while there are private companies that investigate transactions on crypto asset blockchains solely based on public information such as from the blockchain or social media without customer identification information, the services are highly imperfect. Law enforcement and specialist blockchain analytics firms like Chain Analysis can learn information about a wallet and its holder, including whether the wallet may be associated with illicit activity or other wallets identified as suspicious or sanctioned. However, it can be difficult relying on blockchain analysis alone to establish the real-world identity of a person with ownership or control of a wallet with available information at the time of the transaction. Even following an investigation, such information can be difficult to establish, particularly if blockchain obfuscation techniques are used. End quote. The attempted denouncing of Bishop as an expert witness fit to audit chain analysis code based on his prior experience is particularly rich in the face of chain analysis own experts being unable to tell bytes from bits, a fundamental computer science taught as first lessons in undergrad engineering degrees. In short, chain analysis is worried that an audit of chain analysis source code by the defendant, defense counsel, or the suggested expert would cause irreparable harm to chain analysis business. We can only wonder why. Okay, there's this one paragraph here that, or this one sentence here that I want to reread back up in the in the in this article. Here it is. What chain analysis fails to highlight is that the very letter of denial cited names the inefficiency of chain analysis service to map funds to real-world identities as one of the reasons to deny Custodia's application in light of AML concerns. So this, his, Brian Bishop's quote-unquote failure at Custodia Bank is one of the reasons that Chain Analysis is citing that he's not an expert. Yet the failure of Custodia 
to get a Federal Reserve bank account is because of chain analysis itself. I think this case is going south like a duck in winter for the people over at chain analysis. I think that the defense has them on the ropes and that they should probably, you know, (laughs) they should probably keep them there. They should keep them on the ropes and pummel them and pummel them and pummel them. And I can't thank Lola Leets enough for just being like a dog with a bone and not letting this thing go. Okay, on to Ripple. This one sent shockwaves over the weekend to all the people that are looking at, oh, what am I trying to say? Um, Swan Bitcoin, because Swan Bitcoin is in the middle of all this. And I didn't realize how bad it was going to be, but Swan's in, in a, kind of in a world of yeah, bad, it's bad public relations. And not for anything that they've particularly said, but their selection of Fortress Trust has gotten them into a world of hurt. Why? Because Ripple is going to acquire Cripple Custodian Fortress Trust, which means that Swan Bitcoin is now going to be directly in the same bed as Ripple, according to Decrypt's Andrew Thorvalis. Ripple announced on Friday that it intends to acquire Nevada-based Fortress Trust, a Web3-focused financial, regulatory, and technology infrastructure provider. They've built an impressive business with recurring revenue and a strong roster of both crypto-native and new-to-crypto customers, said Brad Garlinghouse, CEO of Ripple, in a press release, quote, We're excited to bring on this team and its technology to accelerate our business, yada, yada, yada. The acquisition follows Ripple's entry into Fortress as a minority shareholder back in August of 2022 when it invested in the company's seed round. It also comes after the company's $250 million acquisition of Swiss tokenized firm Metaco, another crypto custodian. Ripple's portfolio of regulatory licenses now includes Fortress's Nevada Trust license. According to Ripple President Monica Long, Licenses are a powerful enabler for strong customer experience. Fortress was founded just two years ago by Scott Purcell, who previously spearheaded the Nevada-based Prime Trust until 2020. Prime Trust entered into receivership in June after revealing Nevada regulators determined that the firm was insolvent before ultimately filing for bankruptcy in August. Regulatory filings revealed that Prime Trust had lost access to some of its crypto wallets in December of 2021 and that it only had a fraction of the Bitcoin necessary to satisfy customers' Bitcoin withdrawals. Many of its clients included retail-oriented Bitcoin financial service companies such as Strike, CoinBits, and Swan. The latter company fled to Fortress shortly before Prime Trust collapse. Swan CEO Corey Clipston told Decrypt that Fortress was the only feasible option left to serve the company as only Fortress offered legally segregated bankruptcy remote individual trust accounts. Clipston previously has been highly critical of Ripple. With Ripple now owning Fortress, onlookers wonder if another transition of clients' assets could be in the works. Quote, Near-term no change, said Clipston, recording, or regarding Swan's actions post-acquisition on Friday. Quote, Fortress Trust will be run as an autonomous unit. Mid-term, 
We'll have some news out very soon. So here's the thing. If Swan doesn't go and figure out, like River Financial did, how to do self-custody in-house, then Swan's going to have a very, very, very bad year. The Bitcoiners went to Swan because Swan was a Bitcoin-only company. And now that they're in bed with Ripple, this looks bad, and there's going to be a lot of people that are fleeing Swan. Now, here's my real issue, is that when, when this acquisition was announced, I could see a situation where, you know, Corey could be forgiven, you know, because, well, he didn't know Brad Garlinghouse was going to buy Fortress Trust. Okay, I get that part. The part that I don't get was that they've Ripple's been in bed with Fortress since 2022, and Swan didn't change over until 2023 to Fortress Trust, which means that they either did not see that Brad Garlinghouse and the Ripple crew was part of Fortress Trust early days, or they did see it and they didn't care. And if it comes out to be the latter, then Swan's got even bigger problems. And it, I, I like Corey. That's the thing. I like Corey. I like Swan. But this, this, is a, this is just a black eye. And it's too bad that people like Brad Garlinghouse are still in existence today to be running around causing problems like this. But it is what it is. Now, FTX... <laughs> yes, FTX is back in the news again. They're seeking to reverse payments made to Shaq, Naomi Osaka, and the Miami Heat, according to Jesse Coglin out of Cointelegraph. FTX is probing if it can reclaim the millions of dollars that it paid to celebrity athletes and sports teams that promoted the crypto exchange before it filed for bankruptcy last November. In an over 180-page August 31st filing, FTX's financial advisors laid out a detailed list of high-profile figures and businesses it paid in its marketing efforts to see if they're under rules allowing bankrupt companies to reverse the payments. The list includes $750,000 made to pro basketballer Shaquille O'Neal, over $300,000 to tennis pro Naomi Osaka, and $270,000 to former baseball star David Oritz, and another $200,000 to the football quarterback Trevor Lawrence. In fact, they've got a whole bunch of people here in a spreadsheet that they've added to this. And there's names on it like MLB Advanced Media. $2.14 million is what they got out of FTX. Now, this particular story is only talking about Shaq, Oritz, Osaka, Lawrence, and the Warriors. Right? Those are the only ones that are highlighted. But there's some interesting names here, like GameStop, $1.85 million. Uh, who else got it? Uh, oh, Fortune Media, you know, Fortune Magazine. Fortune Media, doing business as Open Fortune, got $1.23 million. And Fortune Media Incorporated, this is, there's two entries for Fortune Media. One is DBA Open Fortune, and the other one is just Open Fortune. And they got $1.332 million. I mean, Kevin O'Leary got $2.34 million out of FTX. Miami Heat, 
$26,000, which isn't very much. But the MLB Advanced Media with $2.14 million, that's a lot of money. That's a shit ton of money. So, and FTX is here trying to claw it back. Now, here's the issue. If they paid the money in a contract and Shaquille and Oritz and Osaka and Trevor Lawrence and the Warriors completed their end of the bargain, then there is no clawing back of that money. And the other question becomes, why aren't they going after Kevin O'Leary? Oh, Learfield Communications is also on this list. Holy shit. $477,000 to Learfield, one of the largest sports radio operators that there is. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Is there anything? Oh, Solana Spaces got 305000 Anyway, getting into the rest of it. <clears throat> The filing warned that the final amount FTX may recover from the efforts may be very materially different from the amount reported. Many of the celebrities named in FTX's recent filing have faced class action lawsuits from FTX users seeking damages. O'Neill, Osaka, and the Golden State Warriors have been sued by groups of FTX customers over allegedly promoting the exchange, which they claim sold unregistered securities. Yes, you can get money out of them for that but not FTX because they had a contract with these people. The people that were defrauded by FTX definitely have a claim on that money from Shaquille O'Neal and the rest of them, but whatever. The exchange has launched a series of lawsuits to try to recover the funds with the most recent on September the 9th against cross-chain protocol Layer Zero Labs in a bid to claw back $21 million that FTX alleged was illegally withdrawn prior to the exchange's bankruptcy in November of last year. In July, it sued co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried and other former top executives to try to recover more than $1 billion in funds that they allegedly misappropriated. So that's a mess. It's a huge mess, and it's not going away anytime soon. Getting back to Ripple, however, the SEC has responded to a Ripple filing and has doubled down on its appeal, bid, decrypt, uh, edited by Ryan Ozawa. So yeah, they're doing the their AI experiment again. The Securities and Exchange Commission pushed back Friday against Ripple Labs' efforts to block its appeal of a judge's ruling that largely favored the cryptocurrency company in its legal fight with the regulator. In the new court filing, the SEC argued that the summary judgment by U.S. District Judge Annalisa Torres in July raised precisely the kinds of naughty legal problems that warrant interlocutory or rather provisional review by a federal appeals court under a law that allowed certain rulings to be appealed before a case concludes. The SEC is seeking to challenge Torres's findings that Ripple's programmatic and institutional sales of the digital token XRP were not securities offerings requiring registration with the regulator. The judge ruled that only certain institutional sales Ripple made under investment contracts were unregistered security trades. Quote, the crux of Ripple's argument is that the appeal under Section 1292B is not available because the issues for appeal require applying law to undisputed facts in the record and because an appeal would not terminate the litigation, the SEC said. Not so. That's a direct quote, but apparently it doesn't make any sense to me. Whatever. The regulator argued that case law allows appeal courts to review district judges' applications of legal tests like the one used to determine whether something is a security. That's the Howey test. It also rejected Ripple's contention 
that a provisional appeal must completely end a case to be allowed. Quote, interlocutory appeal is the path that reaches the goal most efficiently, the SEC said, predicting its proposed appeal now would hasten the case's conclusion versus Ripple's preferred course of further pretrial litigation in district court before any appeal. In its filing last week, Ripple said that the issues the SEC wants to appeal are fact-bound and inappropriate for provisional review. It also argued an immediate appeal would not speed up the case's resolution. Quote, the SEC fails to establish any of the three conditions required for certification of an interlocutory appeal. This court should follow the second court's instruction that the use of the law must be strictly limited to the precise conditions stated in the law and deny the SEC's request for certification, Ripple wrote. The company then added, quote, that is all the SEC purports to do here. The SEC's contention that this court reached the wrong result in applying Howey to the facts of this case do not show any difference of opinion about an underlying legal rule warranting certification, end quote. The SEC sued Ripple and two of its executives in December, alleging they raised over $1.3 billion by illegally selling XRP as an unregistered security. Yes, we know. Okay, so the SEC's appeal is being basically, they're trying to block the SEC's appeal, the guy, the Ripple's legal counsel, um, by throwing all this stuff out. And here's the thing. Do not be surprised if it works. Not, not because that Ripple is not in, in every form, in every way, shape, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you slice it, this is a, an unregistered security. Every part of this, Judge Torres made a mistake. However, Ripple has a lot of money. And when you have a lot of money, you can buy great big lawyers. And sometimes it doesn't matter what justice actually is. It's about how much your lawyers are billing you and what they're able to provide for you under that contractual obligation. I wish it was different, guys. I really do. It's a hard Monday. I understand that. It's a hard Monday. Price is down again. You know, everything's stagnant. It's like the dark, it's that, that dark before the dawn. It's a bad Monday. This doesn't help. And I understand that. But this is, this is what's happening. Chances are, are, it's not outside the realm of possibility that Ripple gets this shit dismissed. And they can go on their merry way, scamming people until the world looks level. It's sad, but it happens. Uh, let's see. Don't want to, let's see. Do it. Nah, nah, nah. Okay. Max Hillebrand, uh, yesterday on Noster, put out a note. And it said that someone paid 8.18 million Satoshis per V-byte on a fee rate. What does that mean? Well, let's look at the mempool and see what exactly this transaction had going for it. Um, the timestamp was on uh, at 1010 UTC on September, like, uh, September the 10th. Uh, it was SegWit and it was replaced by fee. However, it wasn't taproot. It didn't have anything taproot going on for it. And the fee rate was indeed 8.18 million Satoshis per V-byte. And that means that they overpaid that fee by, ooh, 
a mere 481,000x. No, I'm 481,000 times the amount that they should have paid. What did they end up paying? This brings up a question. Was it a mistake? We don't know. See, and it's not Max. You know, Max knows better too. So I'm pretty sure that Max knows exactly what, you know, has the, the fall. What I'm about to tell you, I'm pretty sure Max understands that this is a possibility as well. Okay, first of all, it's a mistake. It's a fat-fingered mistake. But that's, I don't know, man. The, the number, you know, the like, the, the fee rate was exactly 8,182,079 Satoshis per V-byte. I don't know, man. That seems a little, that just seems a little off. There's something about that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Not just because it's so high, but because it's, well, there's, like, it's not like just 8 million Satoshis per V-byte, you know, 8, you know, 8000000. Now it's like, so what wallet software is going to do that? The, like, not only is it like a wallet, I mean, this wallet software, whatever they're using, this looks, what I'm getting at is that this looks like manual entry. To me, this looks like it was done on purpose. Why would somebody do that? Well, it depends. I could see a situation where a miner, like some miner, somewhere, this mining Bitcoin, somehow or another gets paid with Bitcoin to do something, like an out-of-bound transaction, or rather, out-of-band. Out-of-band means I called the miner on the phone and said, here's the transaction number, uh, I need you to get this transaction and, 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 and it didn't actually, it's in the mempool there somewhere. But when I, when I contact a, a miner to do something for me professionally, like, yeah, could you pull that and make sure that you include it in your mining template so that it gets, that it gets, you know, mined and everything's, you know, we, we get the final settlement and the whole thing. So if there's this Bitcoin sitting on a miner's books that was not part of a mining fee, right? and it was a really important transaction then or or it's somehow or another the maybe a miner and I, we don't know if it's a miner we don't know who it is i'm just this is pure speculation let's say the, but this is a, an example that it's a miner and this miner has bitcoin on his or her books but not it was never part of a mining fee but maybe it was a mining fee for an out of band transaction how do they get it to where it looks like a mining fee? Well, they pay themselves a ridiculous amount for a mining fee. I don't believe this was a fat fingered mistake at all. Everything about this looks like it was done on purpose. But be careful out there. Make sure that you're looking at you know how exactly how many digits you're putting into your mining fees, please, because that would be you know helpful. All right. Outside of that, we got Albi. Albi users have made 1,019,040 Lightning payments in the month of August alone. A big all-time high in Albi's first month of over 1 million Lightning payments. Everybody, 
Round of applause for the guys over at Albi because they even beat out Wallet of Satoshi. Because in comparison, Wallet of Satoshi users make 600,000 to 700,000 lightning payments each month. So for at least August, Albi has beaten Wallet of Satoshi in the amount of lightning payments done. And still there are people out there saying that lightning doesn't work. I don't get it. Can somebody please tell me who, why these people still think this? And while you do that, I'll, we'll run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas Intermediate up scant 0.09% to $87.59 a barrel. Brenton North Sea is up 0.17% to $90.80 a barrel. Natural gas is up 0.88% to $2.62 per thousand. And gasoline is up 1.36% to $2.69 a gallon. Metals are doing well today. A quarter of a point upsurge for gold to four, no, 1947 and 70 cents. Silver is up almost a point. Platinum is up almost a point. Copper is up two and a half. Palladium is up two and a half. Uh, agriculture looks pretty good too, mostly in the green, except for the biggest loser of the day being wheat, 1.68% to the downside. Biggest winner is coffee, almost three full points to the upside. I got live cattle up a quarter. Lean hogs are up almost a full point. Feeder cattle are up almost half. Dow is up 0.17%. S&P is up almost a half. NASDAQ is up over a half. And the S&P mini is up one quarter of a point. Bitcoin falling on its ass to $25,168. We got uh, 0.26 BTC taken in fee. No, no, no. I said that completely wrong. The average transaction value is 0.26 BTC. Median transaction value is 7.6 United States pennies because the inscription guys are doing whatever it is that the inscription guys do for whatever reason they do it. I don't know, man. It's bizarre to me. Block times are low. Nine minutes and 40 seconds. That's kind of odd. Um, 0.33 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 50. BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And that ladies and gentlemen is high or well in the, in the medium term, it's been high. Um, 1.43% drop in hash rate. And we are at 404.24 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is doge six United States pennies. We've dropped to a $490 billion market capitalization. That is 3.83% of gold's entire market cap. You may purchase uh, 13.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,482,286.82 of. And 4,723.5 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $118.8 million dollars being run over 16,203 nodes that we can see, sporting 68,423 payment channels that we know about, and Tor percentage capacity has increased to 74.0%. Mempools are, well, full. <laughs> they're very full. They're, they're very stuffed. They're very packed and stacked. Uh, well over 230 blocks carrying 564,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority costs of 24 Satoshis per V-byte. 
and 23 Satoshis per V-byte for low priority. Anything under 7.61 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged from mempools around the world. Oh, I am like number 14 in fountain charts due to people like Letter6173, which I appreciate the striper boost of 7777. Today is a glorious day for Bitcoin and therefore the world. Thank you, man. Dubrovko with 1060. The United States government is the closest thing to a criminal organization that we have. It is wild that there would be no consideration even given to give the money back to the victims of FTX. Quote, homo sapien sapien are cattle to be kept and a crop to be harvested. <laughs> That's true, man. That's true. Jory X McKee with a, ooh, a Satan boost 666 says, thanks for Apple security warning. All my shit is updated. We'll check Nostrudel out. Now off to tip that Wave Lake tune. Pretty good. Thanks, Jory. I appreciate you supporting the uh, artists that are trying to make a go of it over on Wave Lake. Um, that you know, it all helps. And I, I'm not affiliated with Wave Lake. It's just that I can play the music from Wave Lake and not get sued, which I enjoy. Pies with 500 says, "Thank you, sir." No, thank you. Axelrod with 432 says, "Very funny comments on very not funny world affairs, like roasting marshmallows over a dumpster fire." Thank you, sir. Axelrod, I yeah, appreciate the sentiment. We gotta we gotta do what we can to make sure that we don't go into complete darkness. And if that means trying to make something not very humorous something humorous, then damn, I will do it. Okay. God's Death 370 says, Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Dubrovko with 107. Let's see how sidetracked David gets from this absurd art history quip. Wait, Noster.build is down. And then he gives me the YouTube says, I thought I was ducking cool for doing this with a four-wheeler. And I forgot Dubrovko with 106 to look at that particular YouTube video. My apologies. I didn't mean it, but it's been it's been a hell of a morning already for me. So yeah. that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. One in four investment firms have assigned senior executives to digital assets. Again, in case you didn't, in case you missed that, one in four investment firms have assigned senior, not junior, not freshman, not, you know, interns. No, they've assigned senior executives to digital assets according to a report. Uh, Sierra and Lyons has it from Cointelegraph. No, 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 don't do that. No, ah, I accidentally hit a link that I didn't want to hit. Based on the findings of a market intelligence firm and increasing numbers of investment firms in the United States, the United Kingdom and Europe, they're all appointing senior executives, senior executives to lead digital asset investment strategies. According to a recent Amber data report titled Digital Assets, Managers Data Infrastructure Fuel, 24% of asset management firms have adopted a digital assets strategy, with an extra 13% planning on doing so in the next two years. Quote, these roles are being staffed up with almost a quarter of firms with a senior role dedicated to digital assets, reflecting seriousness about implementation as well as senior management buy-in. End quote. 
The report surveyed 60 investment professionals across the U.S., U.K., and Europe. The interviewees included asset managers, hedge funds, and other investors. Approximately half, 48%, of the study participants include digital assets in their firm's portfolios. Amber data also forecast that in the coming two years, an increasing number of asset managers will continue to emphasize digital asset trading and investment strategies. Despite ongoing regulatory pressure in the United States crypto industry from the Securities and Exchange Commission and Commodities Future Trading Commission, Amber data predicts a potential positive outcome in the next few years. Quote, the good news is that the tide may be turning. In the next five years, the SEC and the CFTC are expected to be providing the most positive opportunities for investors in our study. The report stated. Additionally, it highlighted that, oh God, Ripple's recent partial victory uh, against the SEC may attract more asset management firms to adopt a digital asset strategy. In recent news, European digital asset manager CoinShares reported a total revenue of 20.3 million pounds or $25.9 million in the second quarter of 2023, which is a 33% increase compared to the prior year's quarter. So the takeaway is the fact that they're assigning senior executives, seniors. If you're a senior executive at one of these firms and you get a, I don't know, you, you know, you get a, an order to, hey, you're moving over to digital assets. You're a senior executive. You, guess what? You get to tell them to go pound sand. That, fuck you. I'll go find some other work. I'll go to another management firm if they were to deem moving into di digital assets as some sort of demotion or the being sent to the funny farm or being sent to, you know, basically just being demoted when you think about it, right? But they don't think that, do they? That, that, no. It's somehow or another, even, you know, with today's, you know, price decline, you know, and, and with Ripple seemingly being in the catbird seat on this SEC appeal and the fact that Swan is now firmly in bed with Ripple, even though I know Corey never wanted to be there in the first freaking place. It's a bad Monday. It's a bad Monday. It just is. But even with all of that, I've got a report that suggests that 25% of management investment firm, investment management firms are moving senior guys into digital assets. What does that tell you? What is that telegraphing? Who the hell is selling today? My God, it just doesn't make any sense. Of course, it never made any sense before. I don't know why it would make any sense now. Um, let's see here. Do we want to do this one or do we want to do this one? Let me make sure about this. Uh, hold on. Everybody, hold on. Yeah, we'll do this one instead. All right. The HRIF.EU uh, calls on the United Kingdom to halt the travel rule for both cryptocurrency and regular transfers. Okay. In the United Kingdom, a highly disputed obligation will come into effect next week for businesses engaged in cryptocurrency-related transfers and trading. They will be required, under the so-called travel rule for crypto, to transmit a substantial amount of individual customer data to recipients in various countries with no discernible added value. 
to prevent the infringement of these fundamental rights, the Human Rights Foundation, thats it's like, um, it, this is human rights and finance. That's what H-R-I-F stands for, okay? Human Rights in Finance. <clears throat> but they sent an urgent letter to the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom urging the removal of the implementation of the travel rule for cryptocurrency as well as its current application to other financial institutions. The letter reads, Mr. Dear, oh, sorry, excuse me, pardon me, Dear Mr. Sunak, Dear, dear, dear Mr. Sunak, our organization, Human Rights and Finance EU, and its founder, board member, Simon Leftevelt, have been active on the subject of protecting human rights and finance since before Brexit. Our objective is to proactively protect and shield citizens, companies, and the legal professionals from all kinds of legislation, businesses, and governments act uh, or acts which unduly infringe upon human rights as part of charters and treaties that protect human rights and privacy. In line with this objective, we hereby urgently call upon the United Kingdom government to strike out and annul all provisions related to the travel rule in both finance and crypto. UK government violates fundamental human rights through its regulation. One important reason to send you this letter is that right now, the UK is on the verge of implementing an ill-conceived regulation which does further harm not only to European citizens but also to UK companies. In our view, the regulation infringes and is incompatible with the rights to privacy and data protection enshrined in Article 7 and 8 of the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union, the principles of necessity of such measures in a democratic society and their proportionality, and the case law of the Court of Justice of the European Union. Okay, so that's the letter, right? So this rule places companies in the United Kingdom in a dilemma where they are forced to either violate this new rule or deviate from the principle of data or minimization outlined in their own UK GDPR. All the additional information, in fact, is not necessary for their internal control purposes, but solely serves to facilitate the work of law enforcement authorities. However, the data must be sent for all transactions above a certain, th- certain threshold, regardless of whether the customer is suspected of any crime. Yet, the police can easily obtain this data with a single phone call or an email in cases where they can demonstrate suspicion of money laundering or terrorism financing. As a consequence, British companies are now compelled to process data of European citizens and businesses and forward it to other companies without genuine necessity. This is solely due to the obligation to do so and the fear of penalties. So what's the idea here? Most often, companies opt for the easiest route, and then they compromise privacy because it's simpler and cheaper than violating anti-money laundering laws, which incur hefty fines. However, this practice must cease, which is why the HRIF.eu has also clearly stated in the letter that, if necessary, legal actions will be taken to seek restitution for consumers and businesses. The objective is to provide compliance officers and legal experts within these companies additional compelling arguments to convince their leadership not to enforce the rule any longer. 
There is substantial evidence indicating the insufficient legal foundation of these rules. Numerous scholars and privacy authorities have previously cautioned that the disclosure of customer data must be grounded in sound considerations and regulations. See, for instance, the warning from the European Data Protection Board. And here's a quote. The European Data Protection Board considers it a matter of utmost importance that the anti-money laundering measures are compatible with the rights to privacy and data protection enshrined in Article 7 and 8 of the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union, the principles of necessity of such measures in a democratic society, and the proportionality and the case law of the Court of Justice of the European Union. Will this have an effect? Uh, The British government is probably not going to stop abruptly with their plan. They will continue on their course. However, British companies with a sense of honor and an understanding of data minimization have now been given legal support by our foundation. They can refuse to implement the rule and refer to our letter as evidence. For this reason, the letter has elaborated the argument with referral to historical background of the rules. But what they may not realize in the UK is what we haven't explained to the Prime Minister is that in the Netherlands, we have new regulations that enable mass damage claims. So, if there's a serious hack or significant harm to European citizens or companies in the future, our foundation could well be one of the parties involved in this legal process. Is my data still adequately protected internationally? No, it's evident that the obligation to transmit private data to other companies, competitors, and entities in countries where data protection is not up to the standard is simply not a good idea. However, read the letter for more details and also take a look at the website of NOYB, the foundation led by Max Schrems, which has been striving for data protection reform for years, constantly winning in court, but with progress remaining insufficient. As a foundation, we refuse to accept the current state of affairs. It's clear that mere discussions and polite letters aren't effective, and that liability and timely legal action prompt parties to take action. It begins with a polite request to refrain from certain actions. This is followed by further steps. And then we document these actions in this blog. Isn't all of this just a little bit far-fetched? Smoking causes cancer. Insiders knew this for years, but did not disclose it. Eventually, it came to light and had to be printed on cigarette packs. Similarly, similarly, these extensive anti-money laundering regulations are detrimental to consumers and businesses. You don't need to realize it overnight, but one day your data might end up in the wrong place and an artificial intelligent monitoring system could just block your account. Good luck in finding out how and why, but don't look surprised if part of the data was fetched due to this legal obligation. As a foundation, we aim to prevent the scenario and ensure that parties won't later claim, quote, we didn't know that data disclosure was harmful. Those who cause harm should be responsible for compensation, and the same principle applies here. So, Human Rights and Finance, which is not, as far as I can tell, part of the Human Rights Foundation, is all seems to be all over this. The problem is, I'm not exactly sure just how big uh, Human Rights and Finance actually is. I would like them to partner with the Human Rights Foundation, but I'm just a pleb and I got nothing to say about it. However, going back up here is this notion that the travel rule 
directly contradicts the UK GDPR. Okay, so I'm going to read this paragraph one more time. This is up in the middle of it. The travel rule places companies in the United Kingdom in a dilemma where they are forced to either violate the new rule, the travel rule, or deviate from the principle of data minimization outlined in their own UK GDPR. All the additional information is not necessary. What what this paragraph or the sentence is trying to infer is that the travel rule forces companies to violate another rule. Now, that's not surprising when it comes to governments, but it does open up the way for everybody that has, you know, a bunch of lawyers to stop up the legal drains and just have lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Because now these companies can go, you know what? This actually is, I don't like, and nobody wants to keep this data. Nobody, I like, there's not a, like even PayPal, I almost guarantee you, unless PayPal has other nefarious purposes that nobody knows about, PayPal doesn't want to keep this data. They don't want it. It's a liability and it always has been. It always will be. And then they got to store it, which means they got to pay money month out of every month. They got to pay storage fees. They don't want this shit. They would rather not have it at all. None of these companies want this information. They don't want to collect it because it costs money. They don't want to store it because it costs money. And while they have it in their hot little hands, it's a liability every single day. I'm sure these guys, you know, the IT guys at any of these, you know, these, these institutions that have to take your data, I'm sure they wake up in cold sweats, nightmares about being breached and having all this data go away. Now, the IT guys themselves probably aren't as worried about it as much as maybe some of the senior executives who would have to deal with the fallout, the very real and legal and expensive fallout. Even if they win the court case, the amount that the lawyers are going to charge them is going to be extraordinary. Nobody wants this data. This is a way out for these people that the human rights in finance have been able to, you know, basically say, look, you got a way out. That's what they're signaling. They have a way out. I really wish the Human Rights Foundation would jump in on this along with the HRIF and see if they can, you know, I don't know, have some kind of synergistic effects about the whole thing. But we've got other guys to fry like Ted Cruz, who said he's a big believer in Bitcoin mining. Pedro Salamano for Decrypt. Cruz, who announced his withdrawal from the Republican presidential race in February, was on Fox News Radio this week touting the benefits of Bitcoin mining and bringing it to the Lone Star State, referring to how Bitcoin can help energy grids during batches of extreme weather. Cruz stated, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin mining and cryptocurrency. Bitcoin mining can enhance the resiliency of the grid in times of crisis. You know, it's just great. This is what he's saying. But he's always been saying this. I'm not exactly sure I trust cred, but or trust Ted, but let's see where he's going with it. Texas is going through a bout of inclement weather at the moment, recording its second hottest summer on record. The state's local grid, which supplies power to 25 million Texans, roughly 90% of the state, was forced to implement emergency measures. These measures meant Bitcoin miners needed to curtail their energy consumption, generating millions of dollars in revenue to some mining companies due to how their power purchase agreements with the utility function. Cruz added, 
that while Bitcoin mining itself creates a lot of value in times of dire weather conditions, these machines can be shut off in seconds. He said that this frees up energies for a hospital and to heat people's homes, staunchly defending the industry. And then he went on to tweet, quote, Texas is a hub for jobs, innovation and freedom, concluding that the state is a natural oasis for Bitcoin mining. Quote, Senator Cruz is very on point with Bitcoin, said Dennis Porter, co-founder and CEO of the Satoshi Act Fund, a nonprofit that advocates for positive policymaking with regards to Bitcoin mining. Porter told Decrypt that although he doesn't always agree with Cruz, nor do many of his pro-Bitcoin circle on the left, they like his stance on Bitcoin. A Texas senator since 2013, Cruz has announced he will be running for senatorial re-election next year. Politicians from both sides of the United States aisle have been slowly warming up to Bitcoin and digital assets, and several Republican presidential hopefuls have openly endorsed some form of cryptocurrency, whether through legislative process or by calling out SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. These include Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Democrats might be a bit leery when it comes to openly expressing support for crypto, but there are some noble backers. One example is the senator from New York, Kristen Gillibrand, who co-sponsored a bill with Republican Senator Cynthia Loomis that would establish clear-cut crypto regulations. Porter explained that he's excited to see the number of pro-BTC presidential candidates because it shows just how much the space has grown. The policy advocate told Decrypt that smart politicians have noticed Bitcoin is a winning issue and that it can attract a new type of voter and donor by aligning with Bitcoin and ensuring the USA leads on this technology. You know... It's just forming, it's this, it's this single issue voter block that gets me every single time. Single issue vote, vote things are just, they're, they're bad because it's like, I will let you do anything else as long as you do this one thing for me. And it's really not a good, it's not a good look for us in Bitcoin to be a single, you know, a single issue voting block. It's not a good look. And I really kind of wish that we we were able to get away from it, but for right now, we're we're actually kind of stuck with it. Uh, where are we at? Oh, uh, Noster, uh, take Noster mainstream and help from with help from Noster Design. This was written for open or published at OpenSats by Carnage, and so let's let's just you'll figure it out here when we get to it. Development is tough. It's not easy to think about the best possible user experience and pixel alignment when you are neck deep into code. You need design help, and now you have it. OpenSats is proud to present the Noster Design Initiative, spearheaded by Carnage and Danielle. The purpose of Noster Design is to help open source developers with product development, UI, UX, as well as general design considerations. The initiative is funded by the Noster Fund and made possible by generous donors like you. OpenSats distributed the first wave of Noster grants a couple of weeks ago, one of which went to Carnage, that's me, to help create a comprehensive resource for developers and designers as well as provide hands-on help with their clients. If you're working on an open-source Noster project and need design help or a second opinion, don't be shy to reach out to us. So who is us? Well, we are D 
D-Tonin, D-T-O-N-O-N, and yours truly, Carnage. And both of those just put an at in front of it on Noster, and you'll probably get to what it is that they're, you know, how to get a hold of them. Uh, the types of things that they can help with, a top-level view of the overall state of the client you're developing. So what's working, what's not working, what might be missing. Sometimes it helps to zoom out from the day-to-day tinkering to see the bigger picture. They'll provide review and also provide suggestions for any part of the client, including onboarding, navigation, content and user discovery, search profile settings, and other UI. They'll answer your questions that you may have regarding UI and UX. They'll help design your client, and they'll brainstorm interaction ideas, help make your client more useful, engaging, and fun. Who doesn't like fun? You can improve your Nostra client on your own time. Are you too shy to ask for help? Do you think your client is perfect? We're creating a design resource just for you, and you can find that at nostradesign.org. Nostradesign.org will help developers and designers quickly discover Nostra's quirks, challenges, best practices for addressing them. Our goal is to make your life easier without having to constantly ask, what's the best way to do X? So here's the types of things that are covered in the resource that is nostradesign.org. Product design considerations, collecting user feedback, growth loops, accessibility, basic design principles and laws of UX, Nostra-specific UI tips, making engaging apps, a little bit of marketing, reference designs of various aspects of Nostra apps, how to approach onboarding, signups, zaps, relay navigation, stuff like that, Figma files and other open source projects where you can reference how something was handled in terms of UI or UX, a wide range of resources such as color palettes, font options, typography, color selection, book recommendations, accessibility, courses, videos, icon sets, and more. Check it out at nostradesign.com and come back often for new updates. So there you go. OpenSats is now, you know, they've, they've stepped up to the plate yet one more time and support, uh, supporting the Noster Design Initiative. So if you have, if, if you're one of the people that want to design for Noster, you're either your own client or you're helping somebody else out in the space, go to Noster Design. Seriously, man, go over there. Let's see, it was uh, Noster, hold on, do, do, do. Dude, I just had it. Nosterdesign.org, not .com, nosterdesign.org. And f- just leverage all the resources that you can find out there. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's Monday, and it's not shaping up to be a very good Monday, is it? We're going to make it just a little bit worse with Dad Says Jokes. I pirated a movie yesterday. I gave it 3.14 stars. Bad days deserve absolutely terrible jokes. If you didn't get the 3.14 reference, pie, I pirated a movie yesterday. Yeah, I chose the worst freaking joke I possibly could. It's just bad. It's bad. But, you know... Things may get brighter. We still have the whole day ahead of us, right? So do not let your hearts be troubled. It's weirdness is going to be going on. This is my third bear market. This is my second actual bear market where I felt it, right? 
but I got in in like, you know, 2015, which was the depths of the bear market for them. And it was quite a bit different for me because I was in the middle of a bear market and I didn't know it. Think about, think about that. Think about that for a little bit. Why is it that people would feel bad about price declines from 31,000 down to 25 or wherever the hell we're at right now? And I don't know. I'm not going to look because I don't, I don't really care. But if you do care, if it's something that weighs upon you, then you're looking you like you went for 65,000 let's say you bought you you bought i don't know before the top let's say you bought before the top let's say let's say that you bought $31,000 before it increased to 65 and now we're down here and you feel bad i bought it my first bitcoin at 250 bucks middle of the bear market 2015 i didn't feel shit it's only because of my prior knowledge that I would be made to go, damn it. Whereas before, because I had no prior knowledge of what was going on when I bought Bitcoin for the first time, I didn't even realize it had gotten up to $1,200 before I bought my first Bitcoin at 250 I didn't even know about that for, uh, until we were well past $1,200. I bought two, you know, like went up to 3,600 bucks and then kind of like, you know, went sideways and then it went to 20,000 and right before 2017, I didn't even, I didn't, there was none of that knowledge was there for me. So I felt nothing but good yet. I was in the middle of a bear market. Think about your perception. Think about what it is that you know and how that affects you today. Whereas if you were blissfully ignorant, you wouldn't feel it at all. If you had bought into this particular bear market at where, whatever our lows were, let's call it 13,000. And you're just, then you're just like, you're, you're grinning. You're grinning because you don't know the pain of 2017. You don't know the pain of Elon Musk deciding to pull the plug and because everybody just, you know, thinks that they're going to listen to a billionaire, we get a price decline and then it goes right back up to 65,000 and then Terra Luna falls apart. All right. That was a double whammy. This last, this, that last episode, that was like, that was like a, a being slapped in the face twice, like bam, bam. But if you had not known that, if you had gotten in, in the depths of this particular bear market, well, and you don't have you and you don't know about any of the past, you don't you don't really feel it. So perception matters. Your previous experience matters. It defines who you are and what you know, and what you know and who you are defines what makes you feel bad. And I'm really what I'm trying to say is that you don't have to feel bad. I could have felt terrible in 2015 by buying at 250. By understanding that, oh, well, look, it's come down from, from 1,200. But I wouldn't have felt it at all, would I? I never lived it. And it's that experiential nature of living through a bear market that makes you really understand where we're at. Now, I just highly recommend that you try to think of it from those terms and ask yourself the question, if I had bought in my first time into Bitcoin at the bottom of this bear market, what would I feel then? Explore that notion. I'll see you on the other side. Oh, actually, you know what? No, we're going to do a song first. We're going to do a song. 
we're going to do, what, what song are we going to do today? Oh, hold on for a second. I for, I actually, oh, oh Longy. Longy is up with Trust in Life. Now I'll see you on the other side. today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.